Colossians chapter 2. I will uh, confess to you that I, I did not intend to spend quite so long in, in Colossians. My original intent was to do a real quick uh, message at Thanksgiving about being thankful because that's a running theme in the book of Colossians. It's a running command. So my plan was to do a short stop here for one or two weeks and then to move on. But as I dug into the book, this, this little book, and I began to try to mine the riches that are within it, it just, it just proved to be too much. It's just too rich uh, for a short little stop. So um, here we are. Um, and I'll be honest with you, I felt a little bit of anxiety over it uh, because I, I didn't tell you we were going to be here a while, um, and I even planned on moving on quicker, so I've, I felt a little bit of anxiety about continuing in Colossians as long as I have. I think this will be our, our sixth Sunday looking at, at Paul's message here, but as I was preparing for this week's message and doing some research and, and studying, I found out that, that one of the preacher's whose content and resources, his commentaries, have been helpful to me over the years. Um, some of you may know him. His name is Skip Heitzig. Um, he, he's a pastor at a large church in New Mexico. Anyway, he has commentaries and stuff, and they're helpful. They're good. He's got good stuff. To my amazement and amusement, uh, he just finished preaching through Colossians uh, just a couple months ago, and it took him 17 sermons to do it. I was encouraged when I saw he was in Colossians for 17 weeks. We won't, we won't take that long. Um, one or two more weeks maybe uh, after today, maybe three, four or five at the most. <laughs> not, not more than six or seven. <laughs> Everyone found Colossians 2 yet? All right. Let's begin in verse 1. Paul's writing. He says, For I want you to know... How great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of fullness, a full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge." Now I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving." See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Paul is laboring. We've talked about that before. Um, he is struggling. There, are, there is something that it is clear is weighing heavily on Paul. Understand that it is not likely that Paul has ever been to Coloss. 
He says that uh, he is uh, uh, doing this work for them. He's laboring for them, struggling for them. Um, and he wants them to know, and it's for all those who have not seen me face to face, back in verse, verse 1. So it's not likely that Paul ever went to Coloss. Scholars believe he never went there. So in all likelihood, he's never met these people. He's never seen them. It is likely, at least we believe it to be the case, that the church at Coloss was started by Epaphras, who Paul commends back in chapter 1. Maybe it was a home church or a, 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 you know, a small group Bible study or something that grew up into a, a formal church, something like that. Paul mentions that in, back in chapter 1, verse 7, where he says that they learned the grace of God in truth from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. So in verse 1 of chapter 2, our text this morning, we see Paul referring to his great struggle on their behalf. It's important to Paul that they know his struggle on their behalf. I want you to know how great the struggle is that I have for you. We know this letter was written from prison. If you recall, that's in chapter 4. Paul says, remember my chains when he closes the letter. So this great struggle that Paul speaks about, it, it could simply be his general imprisonment for the gospel. I am in prison because of Christ, on behalf of Christ, for the gospel, and that is my struggle. That's, that's, it could just be his general imprisonment. I mean, wouldn't that be enough to be put in jail for preaching Jesus? But I don't, I don't think that Paul is thinking or even commending them in, in broad, general terms like that. Because if you remember from last week, we read back in chapter 1, verse 24, Paul says that he rejoices in his sufferings for their sakes. Because in his flesh, he is able to fill in what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. And then here in chapter 2, he says that he wants them to know how great his struggle is for them. And for the Laodiceans. So I am struggling for you. Paul makes it personal. This, this struggle that I endure, whatever that struggle is, it is for you. And that, that makes me wonder what else it could be. If, it, if it's not just the fact that Paul is in prison. That's a, that's a bad circumstance, but it's not personal. Paul makes it personal. I'm struggling for you. He's not in prison for them. He's in prison for Christ, for preaching Christ. I'm not in prison, but I'm struggling for you. So I'm wondering, what is it that, what is Paul adding to that? What is Paul adding to, the, to his statement? What is, what is the struggle, and, and how does it help them to know that he is struggling? And what, how does it help us to know that Paul is struggling and what his struggle is? To help answer that question, and to get us to a place ourselves of learning and encouragement in ourselves, Paul gives us a reason or a, a desired outcome that he has for letting them know of this struggle. That there's a reason I want you to know about my struggle. He says that in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance in understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, so there's a point 
to Paul's struggle, and there's a point to letting them know about his struggle, right? And that is that their hearts would be encouraged by learning, by just knowing that Paul is struggling on their behalf. They would be encouraged in that, by knowing that Paul is struggling, laboring, toiling for their benefit. If you remember, at the end of chapter 1, Paul uh, said, so that we may present everyone mature in Christ. That was the, for this I toil. I, I labor for this, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So there's, there's something that, that Paul is doing, his struggle, and the circumstances in which he is doing it, that Paul believes will encourage the Colossians and the Laodiceans, and that he believes will be of help to them on their road to Christian maturity, to maturity in Christ. So let me take a little side road here and ask you to consider this. Remember, that was last week. For this I toil, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So that's, I toil for this. That's the good of others. I want you to be benefited, matured in Christ. But we never considered, we didn't really look at what it means to mature. What does it mean to mature, to be mature? Or at least, what is Paul getting at when he uses that word? Something that is mature is something that is, is fully grown. It's full. It's developed. Look at, at the other language that Paul uses surrounding the concept when he talks about the things that he wants for them. If you remember way back in chapter 1 when we talked about Paul's prayer for them, his prayer for them was that they be filled with knowledge and spiritual wisdom and understanding so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay, be, be filled with knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Okay, And then in verse 28 of chapter 1, he says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So warning and teaching with all wisdom. Okay, And then here in, in our verse or chapter that we're looking today, our verse 2, he says, To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So there is a, a full assurance that comes from understanding and knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. Verse 3, in whom are hidden all the treasures of what? Wisdom and knowledge. Amen. A full assurance to the soul that comes from proper knowledge, understanding, wisdom about who God is, what He has done, what He is doing, and what He has promised to do in your life and for others. Don't, don't gloss over that, those, that phrase, full assurance. Paul wants us to be fully assured and explore and have and benefit from the riches of full assurance in the knowledge and the wisdom and the understanding of the mystery of God, which is Christ. Amen. That's one reason why it is so important that we be Bible people, having our knowledge and wisdom and understanding rooted in God's Word. Amen. Amen. Maturity in Christ means growing up in the things, 
in these things, in knowledge and wisdom and understanding of God, to a place of full assurance in Him. You cannot mature in Christ if you are not alive in Christ. Dead things don't grow. Dead things don't mature. Branches that have been cut off from the vine do not ripen, they decay. They don't mature, they decay. And Paul is trying to give the church some safeguards against decay, against spiritual deadness, against cutting yourselves off from the vine. And if you don't think that can happen, consider what Paul said about his friends Hymenaeus, who made shipwreck of their faith. So they had faith, they made shipwreck of it, they were cut off from the vine. We see in verse 4, Paul says, I say this, so his point, his, his purpose, I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. And he, he repeats that again in verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So Paul wants very badly, it is, it is on his heart, he is, he's got a burden for the church to be mature, to be healthy, to be grounded, to be rooted in the full assurance of Christ so that they aren't tossed around by whatever cultural winds or competing philosophies or you know, uh, other false teachers or whatever that may arise. He wants them to be able to stand against the tempest of the winds around them. When the wind blows and the storm rages and the culture shifts and the government shifts and the policy changes and the economy changes, Paul wants your feet to be firmly planted on the solid rock that is not shaken, the rock that is Christ. He wants us to be so rooted and so firm in our wisdom, knowledge, and understanding of God that we can't be knocked down by external forces. Like a tree that is planted by rivers or a house that is built upon a solid rock. Verse 5, Paul says that he rejoices to see their good order and the firmness of their faith in Christ. That's what he's after. That's what he's after. Firm, unshakable, solid, full assurance kind of faith in Jesus. And he grounds that kind of faith. He says, you, you can do this. There's, there's a ground for this. There's a basis for that kind of trust and that kind of faith in verse 9. For him... The one in whom you are placing your faith, the one in whom I'm commending you to be firm in your faith toward him, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you've been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. So Christ is God in the flesh, and he is the ruler, and he is the ultimate authority over all, and it is in him that you have been filled. And I'll get to that here in just a minute. So we have a, we have a goal for what Paul is, is getting at here. His, his goal that he gave us, right? He says, I want you to be firm in the faith to the glory of God. I don't want you to be deluded by clever arguments. I don't want you to be swayed by 
sneaky philosophies. I don't want you to be taken captive by empty deceit or the elementary spirits of the world, the the elemental things of the world. I don't want you to be caught up in what happens to your flesh. I don't want you to be swayed by that. I want your faith to be something that can't be shaken. Your, Your body may be shaken, but your faith shouldn't be. Your family may be shaken, but your faith shouldn't be. So whatever comes your way, whether it's false teaching or confusing philosophies or or any other thing, I want you to stand firm in Jesus. So that's, that's Paul's goal. He's trying to shield them, guard them against falling away, against deceit, against Uh, losing their faith, losing hope in the face of adversity. Paul wants to shield them for Christ. And then the ground, he gave us the ground for that and the reason for placing our assurance in, in Christ and being firmly planted in the hope of Christ above all else. Specifically, here it's that Jesus is God with us and that He has all rule and authority and that we are filled in Him. More to the point, it's out of Jesus' power, out of His abundance, out of His fullness that we are filled. He is a well that never runs dry. He is a source that cannot be depleted. Right? So Paul grounds it in the fullness of who Christ is. Do you remember in chapter 1 that liturgy, litany of things about Jesus, that He is preeminent above all things. He holds all things together. All things were made for Him. He is superior above all things. And Paul says, it's in Him. It's in that fullness that you draw your strength. You have no reason to worry, no reason to falter, no reason to lose faith, because He is bedrock, and He is full, and he is complete and he is enough. There is no, there's no lack in him. And then we have, when you, when you have a goal and you have a ground, the thing you want to accomplish and you have a reason for accomplishing it, you, you need a way to accomplish it, right? And so Paul gives us a means how to, how to guard ourselves against uh, deception, against um, depression, how to guard ourselves against Losing faith, verse 6 and 7, he says, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Now, notice four stages of progression here. And I won't, I won't linger here, but it's important to point them out. First, they were taught the truth of Christ. That's verse 7 at the very end. Just as you were taught. That's where it starts. Being taught. Hearing the word. Right? Amen. Number two. Second, they, they received Him. Verse 6. As therefore you receive Christ Jesus the Lord. So first we're taught. We, we hear the word, or we read the word, the word is presented to us, and then we receive Christ as revealed in the word. Amen. Amen. And I, I chose those words carefully because a lot of people are trying to receive a Christ that has not been revealed in the word. Amen. They're following a Jesus of their own making. And Paul said, if I or any other person come and talking of any other gospel or any other Christ, let that man be accursed. 
So Christ as revealed in the Word. That's why the preaching of the Word is so important and the study of the Word is so important. Third, they become rooted and built up and established in Him. Verse 7, rooted, built up, and established in the faith. And, And that's where they are now. Paul is hoping to mature them and establish them in the faith so that, fourth, they will live in a certain way. Verse 6, to the end that, so in the end, so live in him. And then the way of life that they're supposed to live is defined at the end of verse 7, abounding in thanksgiving. So we live abounding in thanksgiving, rooted and established in Christ. That's where he wants to take them, is a life of gratitude and thanksgiving that is firmly founded, firmly established in faith. And I will say that it is faith in Christ that provides grounding, foundation for joy in every circumstance and for gratitude in every circumstance. It is faith in that unshakable, solid rock. So, back to our bonds of love. In, In order to demonstrate for them and to strengthen them and to encourage them, and to help them mature to a place of full assurance in Christ that will spring up in them as a life of gratitude and thanksgiving, Paul hopes to stir up that gratefulness in them by telling them, I want you to know my struggles for you. And look at how Paul lays this out. Paul sees this as encouragement. I'm struggling for you. And he sees that as encouragement. Back in verse 2, so that their hearts may be encouraged. So this is supposed to be encouragement. And Paul looks at it and says, I'm, I'm going to encourage them by telling them of the hard times I'm going through on their behalf. And look how the encouragement is achieved in the text. By their hearts being knit together in love. Amen. So, so Paul is hoping that news of his suffering and his struggle on their behalf will cause them to feel something. It will cause them to feel drawn to him and connected to him through bonds of love. Now, I'm going to add bonds of compassion. And, and, and not only that, but that through their connectedness to Paul and their compassion and love for Paul, that they are corporately feeling together, that that would draw them to one another, being connected to one another in bonds of love and compassion. So we we share a common love, and our common love makes us love in common. So back to the question at the beginning, what else could Paul mean when he says that he struggles? Because just being in prison is, is too general. How does that help us? Well, to answer that, I'm thinking about you know, what, what Paul is going through and what Paul has said. I began thinking about other people who struggle and suffer. You know, homeless people struggle and suffer. Sick people struggle and suffer. Oppressed people struggle and suffer. And, and we may look at them and we may see their suffering and their struggle... And we may be moved with compassion for them, for their circumstances that they're in. But 
at the risk of sounding calloused, it's not often that we are bonded to them in love. It's not often that our hearts are knit together with theirs. We may feel sorry for them, and we may feel compassion for them, but there's, there's no, we're not knit with them. So in our grief and our compassion for them, uh, it may even move us to do things to try to help, to try to ease their struggle. And that is absolutely encouraging for us. Any of you ever done things to help someone else? I mean, you feel better about it than they do, right? I feel good that I was able to help. I was able to relieve some pain. It is good and strengthening for us to do good deeds for others. There is great Joy in that, that's Bible, that's compassionate, good works of a Christian to do. It's absolutely good. Great joy. But there is a, a particular gratitude and a particular joy that is kindled within us when the person who is suffering and struggling gives of himself for our sake. When the one who has the greatest need looks to you to try to help you meet your need or to try to help meet your need. When the one who has the greatest need says, here, let me take on even more need in order to help you. There's a a particular joy and a particular gratitude that, that comes from that. I'm going to give you an example, and it's, you're all familiar with it. I love to talk about the man because he's my dad, and I love him. And I miss him, and if I grow up to be half the man that he is, then the Lord will have done well. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Um, you know, for over 10 years, he was in great pain. He dealt with a great deal of disability. In the last few years, he could barely even get out of bed. You know this. Everybody else knows this who knows dad. Um, but what dad would do is he'd call people a lot on his phone, just partially because he's a, a guy that loves connection, and that was the only thing he knew how to do at that point. That's all I can do is call people. So he'd call them, and he'd pray for them, and he would offer them words of encouragement, and he'd offer them prayer. And, you know, I, I, I had several over the years, several grown men come up to me and tearfully tell me about dad calling them to pray for them. Um, and they would say with tears in their eyes, and it always goes something like this, is that, you know, here, here I am, and, and I'm not in pain, and I, I can get up, and I can go anywhere I want to, and I can still see, and I'm, I'm not hurting. I should be the one over there praying for him and encouraging him, but he called me Amen. to do that for me, and it just, it just broke them. I mean, you, you can see it in their, in their face, and you hear it in their voice. They were, just, they were just broken and humbled and grateful and filled with joy Amen. because of that. And when, when uh, Case and I would go over to mom and dad's house and uh, when it came time to leave, dad would always uh, grab our hands and he would insist that he pray over us before we leave. And, and he'd pray a blessing uh, over us and an encouragement for us. And, and it had the same effect on me. Here's a man lying in a hospital bed in his own house. He's blind, he's in pain, and he's praying encouragement and blessings over me. That's upside down. There's something upside down about that. But it's the kind of upside down that we see in the wisdom of the world when we compare it against the wisdom of God. 
the wisdom of God makes the wisdom of the world foolishness. So where am I going with all this? What's, what's Paul referring to then? What else could he be talking about when he says, I, I want you to know about my struggles? I think it's that kind of struggle. I think he's talking about his struggle for them in prayer, his struggle for them in sending them this letter, wanting to encourage them. He's the one in prison, and he's wanting to encourage them. He's wanting to strengthen them. His struggle for them in setting himself aside and his own difficult circumstances in order to tend to their needs. You've all got mamas. Everybody's got a mama. I got a mama. She's a good one. She's a gem. And how many times have I seen her work through her own pain to take care of the whole family? Amen. You know, when we get together for a holiday, it's like, Mom, would you just sit down for a minute? Because she's up working, taking care of the whole family. When we have meals here, Mom's up working, taking care of everybody else. There's a, a particular kind of joy and gratitude that is born within us when we see someone set aside themselves in their, their struggle. Maybe it's old age, maybe it's poverty, maybe it's sickness, maybe it's uh, some other kind of affirmity, infirmity. They set themselves aside in order to say, let me meet your need. I think Paul is telling them about that kind of struggle. Guys, I'm, I'm praying for you, even though I wish that you'd pray for me to get out of this prison. Guys, I'm taking time to write this letter to try to send you encouragement, even though I could use all the encouragement in the world because I'm stuck in jail. I, I mean, yes, the prison is part of it, but that just provides the context, Right? I think it's, it's a more personal act of prayers and supplications being made for the saints at Coloss that is so moving. So how does, how does this help us? Well, I think it helps us in a couple of ways. That, that answers the question of what. You know, what is it that Paul might be referring to? And, and here we come to the how. How, how, does this, how does it help us? How are we benefited from this? I think, I think there's a couple of ways. Number one, it gives us a sympathetic example for what it looks like to struggle well. And it gives a sympathetic example to let us know that suffering well as a Christian to the glory of God is not something that we have to do alone. You know, we know that hard times are going to come. We know that difficult times are going to come. We don't invite them. We try to avoid them. When they do come, we work to minimize the pain and the suffering that they cause. We cry out to the Lord for deliverance and for strength in the midst of those things. But Jesus said, in this life, you will have trouble. Now, in addition to all the glorious promises that Jesus made, that one's there. In this life, you will have trouble. Why is that? Because it's a broken world. It's a sinful, broken world. We'll never make it right until Christ comes in final victory and we have a new heaven and a new earth. And then we'll know what it's like to live without trouble. But until that time, it's a broken world. It's a wicked, evil, broken world and, and we're going to have trouble. Trouble is going to come, right? Amen. Amen. 
Paul shows us that, that we're not alone in, in doing everything right and spreading the gospel and pouring our lives out for the, the sake of others, for the sake of, of Christ's kingdom, that he might be glorified and that, and that other people might be benefited, pouring everything out and yet still facing trouble, affliction. I mean, I don't know, you can read about Paul's afflictions. He, he, was, he went through it. He was beaten with a cat of nine tails like five times and, and, and shipwrecked and imprisoned. And I mean, goodness, the things that this man had to endure and willfully, joyfully endured so that Christ might be named among the nations. There is a strength to be found in the never-ending supply of Jesus. And Paul's example here shows us that. That even in the darkest of cells, <laughs> that's a lot of work and good I can do but through the strength I have in Christ. Remember when Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? He wasn't talking about running the marathon. He wasn't talking about climbing a mountain. He was talking about enduring. I can, I can be high, I can be low. I can, be, I can be full, I can be hungry, right? I can endure all, I can do those things because Jesus is my strength. Amen. So Christ is faithful. Nothing that happens in this life can change that. We see that example shown to us through the Apostle Paul. Number two, it gives us an example of how, as Paul puts it, to do all things to the glory of God. You may wonder, well, how in the world is God glorified in, in my cancer? How in the world is God glorified with dad's situation? How? How is that? How is God glorified in, in my struggle? See, it's, it's easy to expect people to shout God's praise when everything seems to be going well. And I always wonder that about the award shows. You, know, you see the award shows, right? And everybody who gets an award gets to come up to the stage and make a speech. And it doesn't matter, even the most wicked, apostate, degenerate, unrighteous person among them will get up there and they'll say, I just want to thank Jesus Christ, or I want to thank my Lord. I'm like, you don't even know Him. You don't even know Him, right? Um, but that's okay. But they'll get up there and they'll say, thank you to God for their good fortune. And I, I often wonder, if, if we were to to give the mic over to the losers, would they be getting up there and thanking God for their loss? Because see, if, if he is the father that only gives good gifts to his children, then when we struggle, when we struggle, our question, our prayer should be, Lord, how, certainly, Lord, give me the strength to endure this. Lord, change the circumstance, get me out of this. You know, you are a good God, whatever. But it should also be, Lord, how can I do this? How can I endure and overcome this to your glory so that your name be praised and that others are benefited? That's a firm faith that Paul is reaching for. That's a maturity in Christ that Paul is reaching for, for the Colossians. It's one thing to know that someone is struggling and to feel sorry for them. There's nothing wrong with that. That's compassion. That's a good thing. But it causes something altogether different to happen in our hearts when the suffering, struggling person is trying to offer encouragement to you. When, when the one who is struggling is, sets himself aside in order to try to help meet your needs. There, there's, a, 
There's a gospel picture there. There's a, there's a Jesus connection there. And so it's, it's not only that, that Paul wants us to be united together, he wants the, the, the Colossians and the Laodiceans to be united together, knit together in bonds of love for him. Because no, he, he said earlier, I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake because I am filling in what is lacking in Christ's afflictions. Paul wants us to be united together in our love for Christ strengthened together in our love for Christ. And he's showing them, this is how Jesus has loved me. And I want to show you that by letting you see how I love you. I want to show you his love for me by loving you in the same way. By struggling for you. Did Christ not struggle for us? Amen. And it is Paul's hope and Paul's prayer that in doing so will strengthen them and encourage them in the firmness of their faith so that they are so sure about who Christ is and what Christ has done that competing philosophies and, and other, other arguments and, and things like that will not waver them. They can recognize that in Jesus, not the one that I know from the Word. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. We thank you for your word and what it does in us. Father, I pray that our dead ears are open to hear and our hearts are, are prepared to receive what you've given us today. Lord, help us to uh, be good stewards of, of all of your good gifts, Lord. But certainly, in addition to that, help us to be good stewards of the struggles that we face. So that when we face them, we don't face them with selfishness, but with selflessness. And we face them with an eye towards how can we glorify you and how can your name be praised? And how is this beneficial for others around me in strengthening and maturing them? Father, let us to be lights and like a city that is on a hill in the world out there. In Jesus' name we pray. We ask these things. Amen.